0: This morning we are continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus, and we're looking at the Decalogue, and you may recall last week we spoke about honoring your father and your mother, and that particular context of the family is where all of the other commandments, are first to be learned. The sixth commandment that we'll look at today, Lord willing, you shall not murder, deals with the sacredness of human life. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, deals with the sacredness of marriage between one man and one woman. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal, deals with the sacredness of personal property. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, deals with the sacredness of a person's reputation or their name. And the last commandment, you shall not covet, deals with the sacredness of your own heart. And these same uh, sort of approaches have been taken by many uh, theologians. Wayne Grudem, for example, talks about protecting life, protecting marriage, protecting um, property, and so forth. As well as uh, Dr. Jack Scott, But this morning, I want to speak about the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And as the ESV has a note, you may see in the margin, it also deals with human death that's caused by carelessness or negligence is also covered under this commandment to not murder. Some older translations say you shall not kill, and uh, the word kill is not the word that's used in the Hebrew there. The word in the Hebrew deals with murder. Uh, Killing is not uh, the same. It's not a synonym for murder. But human life is sacred, and it's sacred, as you know, because every human being no matter what their condition might be every single human being has been created in god's image and therefore murder is an attack on god himself it is attack it is an attack on jesus christ who is the image of god and every human being no matter what their creed is, what their culture, what their color, what their ethnicity, what their uh, particular upbringing might be. It doesn't matter whether they are affiliated with the things that you are affiliated with or agree with uh, the things that you agree with. Every single human being is created in the image of the living God. And therefore, every single person's life is sacred and is supposed to be upheld as sacred. Murder is obviously the problem here. And it is the ultimate failure to love one's neighbor as oneself. That's what murder is. It is an ultimate failure to love another human being the way you want to be loved and treated by others. And so built into this commandment uh, to not murder is the clear implication of the command to love one's neighbor the same way you love yourself. It is the central commandment, the second greatest commandment of all. The first being to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, Jesus says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to your neighbor. Therefore, love, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 13 is the fulfillment of the law. This commandment is uh, first taught uh, in the family, as uh, we have already mentioned. Husbands, more specifically, are taught to love their wives as they love their own bodies. And so as husbands are called to that, and even as children bear witness to that, it is pedagogical. It teaches in the family to love others. The first um, explicit disobedience to this command even though the commandment was not yet uh, written down. But Cain killed his brother Abel and became infamous as the first murderer of another human being. And he, it is said in the Bible, murdered his brother because Abel's deeds were righteous, and his deeds were unrighteous. Just as husbands are taught to love, wives who are privileged to experience pregnancy are also taught, as a baby is in some ways part of the woman's body, and yet distinct from the woman's body. And here that ESV note comes into play about negligence or carelessness. A woman is taught implicitly by nature to love the child within her or children within her, to love them as her own body and treat that life within with respect. Jesus says, In all things, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Murder is the clear sense of this word, and the word is specific uh, to murder and does not include things like capital punishment this commandment does not include things like the justly administered capital punishment by the civil authority nor does it include what some have termed a just war casualties caused by a just war it does not include self-defense or the protection of life from violent offenders. And This is particularly the case when there is no other option except to be murdered oneself, or stand by and see the destruction of innocent life. And it does not um, include these things like accidental death where it was clearly an accident it was not the intent of the person at all however this command obviously most certainly includes things like abortion except in the very rare case when the mother's life is clearly in danger of being lost. And that's a debatable issue, but it wouldn't include that kind of abortion. Euthanasia is also um, clearly murder. Suicide is also included in this commandment, to not murder. Jesus, however, expands as he does with all of the law, he shows the, uh, the the depths of the law and what is included in the law. Uh, he, he includes in this law, it was always there, but he he interprets and he further fleshes out the implications and applications of the law. And he explains in Matthew's Gospel account, as well as Luke, that hatred for other people is but the seed of murder, as well as being angry with your brother. Anger in itself is not sinful, But anger that has murder as its seat and intention, hatred for another person, wishing them evil, wishing them death, is unlawful, according to Christ Jesus. He says in Matthew's account of the gospel, in Matthew chapter 5, you find this uh, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And before that particular passage. He says in chapter 5 of verse 21, You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, speaking uh, particularly of the commandment we're looking at. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the Gehenna of fire. Um, And so Jesus, in this passage, as you know, he develops this call to reconciliation, this call to a restoration to brotherly love and kindness and not to allow anger to stew and to grow in your heart. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, Uh, builds on these principles uh, when he says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, in verses 30 and following, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander Be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. And even before this, uh, these verses, he says, Be angry, in verse 26, and do not sin. Do not let the sun uh, go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so in this passage, he He develops the fact that anger is not intrinsically evil, but when anger is aroused in us, we should seek every single opportunity to be reconciled, to be restored, to bring back brotherly harmony. Do you do that when you're angry? When your spouse makes you angry? When your children make you angry? When friends or family members make you angry, when your boss, people on your job make you angry, when politicians make you angry, you may not have the opportunity to be seeking reconciliation with people on your TV screen, but when anger is aroused in you, do you seek to put it, put it down and not allow it to control you and to overcome you? Believers are supposed to be angry at sin indefinitely, but there is a sense in which we are called to be filled with the Spirit, and what that means at some level is to be self-controlled. It's one thing to remain in opposition to evil or to a particular sin or to sin in general, and another thing to allow that emotion to be central in your life and overcome everything else in your life, and so you cease to be characterized by love, gratitude, and joy, and peace-loving, and peace-pursuing, pure in heart, and instead become characterized solely by indignation. And sometimes we can we can exercise this anger or this hatred this this slow burn within us by like Joseph's brothers who were not able to say a kind word to him are you ever that way where you really don't have a word of encouragement to give someone and you really only speak to people when you have something critical to say to them or about them. We as God's people must exercise love and kindness, encouragement, and like our Father in heaven, like our Savior, Jesus Christ, be blessedly unbalanced in the areas of grace and love and mercy and kind-heartedness and forgiveness, while still being opposed to what is sinful. You remember that blessed unbalance. It's not really an unbalance, but it's just stated that way to make the point. In God's name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, transgression, and sin, and in the one thing unlike the rest of those, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children's children to the third and fourth generation." And so you see in God and in His character, in His being, this this very weighty and uh, weighed-down mercy and grace, and yet this still very sober reality that God hates sin, and He will deal with it. And so we have to have that same kind of uh, anger at sin and hatred for sin But yet what characterizes you should be, more than anything else, love. It's one thing that is to be said about Christians the world over, is that they are people who love. This command, uh, you shall not murder... is given to protect life. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who abuse us or persecute us, to do good to those who hate you, and to bless those who curse you. And it's quite obvious that the only thing that is going to ever move you to genuinely treat enemies in this manner is recognizing the fact that that's exactly what Jesus did for you. You were Jesus' enemy, you were his abuser, and he loved you. He prayed for you. He did good to you. He blessed you. And if that's not what's gripping your heart and gripping your emotions and gripping your thought life, you will lash out at people. You will have murderous thoughts towards people who treat you wrong or treat someone you love wrong. Wrongly, That will be the impulse of your heart to murder, to hate, to stay angry, to stop talking to certain particular people. But if the gospel has gripped you, if Jesus' love for you has arrested your thinking, you have to. Pursue reconciliation, don't you? You have to seek restoration. You're constrained by Jesus' love for you. You were a hater of God. The Bible says that in Titus chapter 3. We hated people, and we hated God. When you hate people, part of that hatred is directed towards the God in whose image they have been formed. James speaks of that in chapter 3 as well. The Bible says that we are to overcome evil with good. And since good overcomes evil, since light overcomes darkness, the call to love, no matter their ethnicity, their culture, their nationality, their religion, their color, their gender, or their sin, because good overcomes evil, because light overcomes darkness, no matter who you are dealing with. This is how the kingdom of God's love advances and impacts and influences and changes the world. The prophet Isaiah at one point said about the the latter days. And uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us when the latter days were. It's when Jesus was on earth preaching the gospel. It's when he appeared in these last days, as it says in the book of Hebrews, to put away sin. And the prophet Isaiah says, in the latter days, this mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills." And all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. This is in Isaiah chapter 2. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And You also find a similar passage like this in Micah chapter 4. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations. And it says in verse 4 that they shall beat their swords, used to murder used to kill, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears, again a weapon to destroy they'll beat their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up Sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, and you know that walking in the light of the Lord is walking in the light of Christ Jesus, who is the Lord? Isaiah picks up on this same theme later on in his prophecy in chapter eleven, where he says that. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And here's the reason. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is why it is so important for God's people to be gripped by the gospel, to be gripped by the true knowledge of God. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That you in your life would be gripped by the gospel, would be gripped by Jesus Christ, and his love for you, and his grace towards you. It's very easy when you have been wrong to have murderous thoughts. But it's harder to hold on to those thoughts when you are gripped by the reality of God's grace towards you in Jesus Christ, and this is these passages in Isaiah are not speaking of some kind of utopianism, but it's it's saying that if if nation is to not war against nation, if people are not to hurt one another, the only way that that will be brought about is through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's through people being converted and walking in the light of the Lord. That's the only way you will ever see a decline of nation waging war against nation. That's the only way you'll see a decline of murder in your communities. There's all kinds of murder in In America and throughout the world, gun violence and people being killed in domestic violence, the only way these things will be scaled back is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God's love advances and is impacted when you lay hold of the gospel and its principles and live in light of them. The irony is, however, as it is stated in Acts chapter 3, that Jesus was delivered over to Pilate to be crucified Two times it is said he was denied. He was rejected. The Holy and the Righteous One. They didn't want him. They wanted Barabbas. They wanted a murderer to be given to them. And they killed the irony of it. They killed the author of life. That's so characteristic of our culture, is it not? The culture does not want Jesus. Sometimes when Jesus gets too close to our idols, you and I don't even want Jesus, if we're really honest with ourselves. We'd rather deny him the author of life, and wants some kind of life-destroying idol instead. But Jesus came to lay his life down. He's the good shepherd. And he came to lay it down through subjecting himself not only to his Father's will, but subjecting himself also to murder, at the hands of sinful men. And this sacrifice of love, this sacrifice of grace, has been shown capable of overcoming and melting the stoniest and the hardest hearts and transforming sinners into saints. Therefore, above all people, as God's chosen ones, as Paul says in the book of Colossians, holy and loved by God. We are called to have compassionate hearts, kindness, bearing with one another, forgiving one another for every complaint that we have against another person, forgiving as the Lord forgave us. We, above all people, are to be characterized by compassion and love. And that light is meant to shine and have great influence in this world. Would you be free from being controlled by anger? Have you ever gotten so angry and started fuming and screaming? It's almost like having an out-of-body experience. Someone else is there doing this, but you're watching. Have you ever experienced that kind of rage within you? Well, the only way to settle it, the only way to calm it, the only way to see it snuffed out is by going to the cross and seeing the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ and seeing the tender love relationship between the Trinity somehow disturbed at some level when when God's rage is poured out on his own son, Jesus Christ. And obviously there is no break in the Trinity. God is perfect in every way. But what was happening, obviously, is that Jesus was bearing your sin. That rage was meant for you. That rage is something you deserve. You deserve, Almighty God, to incinerate you eternally. And yet Jesus received that wrath upon himself. He received that punishment upon himself. And when your heart again is broken and melted in view of your sin being taken by another, by Jesus, and Him taking the punishment on your behalf to set you free. That is what is going to set you free from being controlled by anger and rage and murderous thoughts. Because Jesus was murdered by sinful people. Jesus was put to grief by his own Father because God wanted the earth filled with his glory, because God wanted you filled with his glory, because God wanted you in glory. And so it's an understanding of what Jesus endured on the cross and an understanding of where you will be when you die, because of your faith in Him, because of His grace towards you, that has to grip you, and if that controls you, truly controls you, rage, murderous rage, cannot control you. Those two things cannot exist at the same time in your heart. And So I commend to you in light of this commandment you shall not murder. The flip side of it is that you shall love as I have loved you. You shall love others as you love yourself. The foundation of which is knowing that Jesus was murdered by sinful people Jesus absorbed, as J.I. Packer put it, he's the wrath absorbing Savior. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf to set you free from being controlled by anything and anyone except Him and His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. May God bless you and keep you always in the love of God.